Welcome back to the emdocs.net podcast. Today we have a special guest, Rachel Bridwell, a superstar in emergency medicine and also a big publisher of some great emergency medicine literature. Thanks for having me back, Britt. Today we're talking about some sneaky causes of seizures. Seizures account for about 1% of all ED visits every year. And this goes beyond the dangerous causes that are usually on your differential, like trauma, intracranial infection, hypoglycemia, some drug intoxications and withdrawal, and even intracranial bleeding. Now, we're all experts at managing the initial stages of seizures with getting those benzos on board and intubating the patient if they don't respond to those benzos. Rachel, what kind of things are we considering today? We'll be focusing on the surreptitious but equally important presentations of seizures. Refractory status epilepticus carries a significant short-term mortality between 16 to 39%. 23% of patients have a lasting neurologic deficit, and 41% of patients die within the first six months. The faster we can stop seizures, the better. And in several situations, we need to determine the underlying cause of seizure to best manage the patient. Rachel, let's talk a little bit about posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome, or PRESS. So what can you tell us about PRESS? Britt, you're going to be impressed with this. PRESS is a reversible disorder marked by vasogenic edema and neurologic symptoms of headaches, visual disturbances, encephalopathy, and seizures. There is no clear consensus on the pathophysiology behind PRESS, but it's theorized to be a result of endothelial injury with resulting compromised blood-brain barrier. It's closely associated with renal failure, hypertension, preeclampsia, eclampsia, and immunosuppression drugs. 59% of these patients present with seizures. CT may show some vasogenic edema posteriorly, but the imaging study of choice is the MRI. These patients require rapid 25% reduction in blood pressure in the first few hours and admission for further workup and management. Please check out a great post by Aaron Matlock, my awesome APD, on this ripple effect. I'm definitely impressed by that. I've seen several of these patients, all who presented with some hypertension, some visual field deficits, and altered mental status, ultimately diagnosed by imaging. Let's move on to some toxicology. Can you tell us a little bit about the heavy metals and seizures? Britt, cue some enter Sandman, because I have some heavy metal to headbang to. There are a variety of heavy metal toxicities that may present with seizures, but it's often a late finding, such as lead, thallium, zinc, arsenic, and copper. Lead is more commonly associated with seizures, though vague and subtle CNS symptoms such as headache, insomnia, ataxia, and restlessness will manifest first. Chronic lead exposure can also produce a thiamine deficiency, further lowering the seizure threshold in this population. These patients with seizures from lead should be treated with chelating agents such as EDTA and succimer. Additionally, mercury and tin can present with seizures after both acute and chronic ingestions. Environmental and occupational exposures are the greatest risk factors for these, and mercury requires chelating agents for treatment, while chronic tin toxicity is treated with anti-epileptic drugs. That was great, though I may skip the Black Sabbath and shark fin soup to avoid seizures. Any other fun metals or bands you want to mention? I do have more metal for you, but this time we're moving over to the group 1 alkaline earth metals. Lithium toxicity can occur in both acute and chronic intoxication, which can be directly affected by the patient's kidney function. Mild poisoning may cause CNS symptoms of vomiting, tremors, agitation, and muscle weakness, which can then progress to seizures, myoclonus, and coma. Intermittent hemodialysis is the ideal treatment, but continuous renal replacement therapy is a backup if hemodialysis is unavailable. Lithium does not bind activated charcoal, and whole barrel irrigation and gastric lavage do not have data to show efficacy in decontamination. 
Permanent neurological sequelae include short-term memory deficits, choreoathetosis, truncular limitaxia, and a silent killer. Nice one. Silent is a very difficult diagnosis, let alone lithium toxicity. Remember, we more commonly see seizures and neurologic issues in patients with that chronic or the acute on chronic lithium toxicity, as it requires elevated CNS levels of the medication. Acute toxicity more commonly results in those GI issues. But what about pregnant women? Eclampsia isn't at all sneaky, right? Yes, and not only pregnant women, but also postpartum patients. Generalized seizures in a pregnant woman should automatically trigger emergency physicians to think of eclampsia, but it can also occur up to eight weeks postpartum. This terrifying entity of postpartum eclampsia is subdivided into early and late phases, which occurs within the first 48 hours after delivery and greater than 48 hours after delivery, respectively. Eclampsia, both pre- and postpartum, accounts for high cause of morbidity and mortality worldwide in pregnancy. The most pertinent feature includes postpartum eclampsia to include multiparity, mild to moderate hypertension, and headache, especially with visual changes. The most common physical exam finding is hyperreflexia, which occurs in 80% of patients. As compared to their prepartum eclampsia patients, postpartum eclamptic women do not have significant proteinuria or thrombocytopenia, making this diagnosis more challenging to catch. However, postpartum patients presented with consistently more elevated AST and anemia as compared to the prepartum counterparts. Thus, in postpartum patients with a complaint of headache, need to consider preeclampsia and eclampsia even more with a common and benign postural puncture headache. First-line treatment is intravenous magnesium. Dosing includes a load of 4 to 6 grams over 30 minutes, followed by an infusion of 2 grams an hour. You can also give 10 grams IM. Patients must be monitored for magnesium toxicity, specifically respiratory depression and diminished deep tendon reflexes. For patients with renal insufficiency, the loading dose is only 2 grams. That's pretty scary, especially the postpartum component of eclampsia. My big takeaway is that we need to consider this in a female of reproductive age, whether or not they are pregnant. Any drugs that will cause seizures? Unfortunately, a variety of sympathomimetics can cause seizures. With widespread accessibility to these substances, both through prescribed and illegal means, sympathomimetic-induced seizure can account for a significant portion of these. Cocaine additionally can cause generalized seizures, both in first-time presentations, as well as by lowering the seizure threshold in those with known seizure disorders. Seizures secondary to cocaine have been reported as high as 40% of presentations, more commonly in females. Once status epilepticus occurs in both cocaine and MDMA, seizures are very difficult to treat and require immediate management. The usual seizure and supportive care with benzodiazepines is recommended, though associated multi-organ failure may be considered in these global excitatory states. These drugs also cause acute CNS catastrophes, which can also generate seizures. Are there any other drugs that can cause seizures? Bupropion, trade name Welbrechen, has risen to be the most common cause of drug-induced seizures for which poison control is consulted. Some patients who crush and snort Welbutrin receive immediate parenteral absorption without extended release. However, multiple metabolites are still active and epileptogenic. Even if the patient appears well at the time of presentation, You should observe them for 24 hours because of the extended-release formulation and previous discussion of metabolites. Benzodiazepines in supportive care are recommended for agitation, seizure, and hallucination control, but avoid antipsychotics as they decrease the already lowered seizure threshold. Administration of intravenous lipid emulsion can be considered to combat cardiovascular and CNS toxicities in conjunction with a medical toxicologist. Along with the CNS effects, bupropion is also a myocardial depressant, causing gap junction leakage, 
widening the QRS with partial response to QRS prolongation. Wellbutrin is such a misunderstood medication with some major complications. One of the most difficult patients I recently treated came in with a toxicity from Wellbutrin. Now, lots of people are on dialysis. Any issues we'll see with these patients? San Antonio is a dialysis center of excellence, along with Bill Miller and Big Red. Uremia is a sneaky seizure cause, with an incidence of 10% in the chronic kidney disease population. It will start with vague neurologic symptoms and progress to asterixis and then myoclonus and seizures. Antibiotics, especially cefepime, can lower the seizure threshold. Treatment focuses on terminating the seizure and reversing the underlying cause, which in this case would be an indication for hemodialysis. That's not awesome. You said cefepime can lower the seizure threshold, which really hurts. Are there other antibiotics that can cause seizures? While cefepime and really all generations of cephalosporins can cause myoclonic seizures, penicillins and carbapenems can cause seizures, especially those with impaired renal clearance. Moxifloxacin and metronidazole have also been implicated in seizures. Cefepine specifically is known to cause non-convulsive status epilepticus, especially in those with chronic kidney disease. Non-convulsive status epilepticus is defined as epileptiform activity on EEG without seizures with an alteration of consciousness for greater than 30 minutes, and is a really tricky but important diagnosis to identify. Well, at least vancomycin doesn't cause seizures. ER docs everywhere are safe, at least when it comes to the vancin, well, I guess not zosin anymore. But what about some household items? Britt, hit me up on my multi-level marketing platform because essential oils are a seizure waiting to happen. Camphor is the solvent in many essential oils and salves. With the rise of essential oils for both aromatic and borderline medicinal purposes, camphor toxicity with results in seizures has also increased. Camphor can be rapidly absorbed both enterically and transcutaneously, with a toxic level reported to be 50 mg per kg, causing irritability and hyperreflexia that quickly progresses into generalized seizures. Without any obvious lab or abnormalities, seizure is commonly the presentation of this toxicity. Mainstay of treatment is benzodiazepines for seizures, though supportive care after resolution of seizures is required for potential hepatotoxicity and neurotoxicity. Death is usually secondary to convulsions or respiratory failure, stressing the importance of terminating the seizure with benzodiazepines and providing an advanced airway early. That was some great stuff, Rachel. So in summary, always address the ABCs first in patients who are seizing. Obtain IV access and hook the patient up to cardiac monitors. Treat seizures initially with benzos, and if the patient is refractory to multiple doses of benzos, go ahead and intubate the patient. Assess the more common causes of seizures first, such as hypoxia, hyponatremia, hypoglycemia, and withdrawal. Keep in mind heavy metals, exposures, supplements, decreased renal clearance, and antibiotics, all of which can play a key role in triggering seizures or lowering the seizure threshold. In the setting of intoxication, consider polypharmacy of both SNRIs and Wellbutrin, as well as antibiotics. We didn't cover tramadol and antihistamines in this podcast, but these can also cause seizures. Rachel, thanks as always for the amazing work, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for joining us on the emdocs.net podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone.